Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to my Millennial Money Express. I'm with Alex Zvetsky, and I probably just wrecked that after pronouncing it 50 <laughs> times. But uh, Alex, you're a uh, you're right into Bitcoin, and you've had a background in starting businesses, then moving, I guess, from traditional businesses to online businesses. Is that a fair comment? Yeah. So, um, originally markets, then um, yeah, more uh, kind of. Uh, real world, I guess, businesses, and then moving to more apps, online stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. So you're um, you're big on the, I guess, the Bitcoin scene, the crypto scene, and the reason I got you on today was to really just drill down on the Bitcoin piece and yep. why it's so important. But for those wondering, like everyone, we hear this crypto and cryptocurrency and it's taking over the world. Mm-hmm. So. How like to somebody like your grandmother who doesn't know what the hell crypto is or cryptocurrency? Mm-hmm. How would you explain that to her? So I make a strong delineation between crypto and Bitcoin. Um, I think you know there's um, j- just like we have you know the element that is gold, um, which has unique atomic and physical properties. Um, yes. You know, or we have the U.S. dollar, which has um, you know unique properties about it you know the, the the strength of the u.s constitution the government all that sort of stuff we have um we have bitcoin which has some interesting properties that make it uh a new form of money that is um that has more of the attributes of money that um that, that are ideal uh in order for society to function and um so, so if i was to you know try and explain it to to a layman i, I would say that Bitcoin kind of represents the the creation of a of a market based money that isn't uh, that that isn't controlled by any one central party or issued by any one central party that is um, agreed upon by society as a good that is a useful form of money in much the same way as we converged over thousands of years to agree that this yellow shiny rock that had interesting attributes and, um, you know, physical properties could represent, um, you know, money. And, and like, just to sort of give a little bit of a frame on that is most people have a hard time understanding Bitcoin because they don't understand money in the first place. And, you know, the easiest definition I can give you of money is, you know, money is this good or object or unit that represents work or value or input into society. Um, and it's supposed to map directly to that. Um, so, you know, what Bitcoin kind of represents is um, is something that is a superior form of money in many ways that anyone can validate, verify. It's unconfiscatable, it's un- uninflatable, and it's uncompromisable as a form of money. And you know, 
maybe that doesn't really answer it for um for grandma but you know the kind yeah. of way i would try and uh help grandma understand it is to say look you know because mo- most of our grandparents if we're talking about that sort of generation appreciate and understand gold um yes. as money and they and they you know that they sort of grew up understanding that that was real money and the and the paper that was issued by the banks was supposed to be backed um you know quote unquote by gold um but you know that that is no longer the case. Whereas whereas crypto, on the other hand, is kind of like fool's gold. You know, it's it's the alchemist's dream of um, you know creating gold from nothing. Um, so, so would you say? So is Bitcoin a cryptocurrency, but it's kind of the gold standard? Yeah, I don't even like crypto. to. Bloody, I don't even like to quote it as a cryptocurrency. I just kind of say like, look, Bitcoin is you know money two point um, and and it is it is the the the, the new. The thing we've created um, and the thing that continues to evolve via the consensus of society that represents a superior form of money, whereas crypto is just this bloody game of charlatans running around trying to create their own coins, um, create their own, um, you know, <laughs> like Ethereum is a good example. There's, How many coins are there? Oh, man, there's thousands. Yeah, there's thousands. There's thousands. And they've all trended towards zero um, over the last year and a half after that bloody hype cycle that we saw in 2017 of every moron making up their own coin and just naming it after themselves or whatever. So so, so what, what made me angry about that period of time was you, you had people who wanted to take the narrative of what Bitcoin represents, which is effectively a money that's owned by the participants, a money of the people. And they, they took that narrative – um, and they basically printed their own money out of thin air um, and yeah. sold basically crap to people. And now everyone's wondering why the stuff that they bought is worth nothing. Um, yeah. it is, well, I guess there was, there's no actual value behind it anyway. Well, well there isn't. So that, that's the thing. So, so there's like values, values is a subjective concept, right? And, you know, what the, the reason, yeah, m- money itself um, is not valuable outside of it having objective attributes that um allow it to map against uh you know value input into society or work etc etc so um you know money effectively represents energy or work um yeah so you, you need to find um something that can uh maintain the integrity of that so you know at the moment we the you know what we have you know, I guess converged upon a society based on what we've been told is to use the the paper that um or or you know these days it's not even paper it's you know digits that you know the banks and the central banks sort of tell us represent our work. But but the problem you've got in that sort of a situation is um you know if you and I go and start a business or you know perform an action in society and we do something good, make a smart investment or whatever, we get um we get upside. You know we we get a return by yeah. by and large. If we do something stupid, you know like same way as any other biological system or physical system, you do something dumb, you lose. You know, you you get um, you get pain. In other words, right? But if if you're a central banker or a government um, in today's society, is you make a smart move, um, you know, you earn money, you you get a reward. You make a dumb move. Um, Two thousand eight was a good example. Um, yes. You still get rewarded because you can just print more money, um, or you can increase taxes. Like so, it doesn't matter. So it's the only. It, it creates really weird distortions in society and, and it kind of is the the basis from which a lot of the um you know the 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 inequality gaps start to form and all this sort of weird stuff starts to happen in society when you can't map 
value input and work directly back to money. When you can just, uh, I'll, I'll give you a good mental model. When, when yeah. we as a society were sort of forming um, and we were looking for objects that could represent money well, there was a point in time when we, uh, a, a large portion of society converged upon shells. And, you know, shells were hard to find, especially in the inland regions. And we would, you know, use these shells to represent the work that we would do because the reason we needed money was barter was not a functional form of uh, exchange. Like if you've got a banana and I've got an apple, we may be able to trade. But w- what if I don't want your banana? Like then you've got to go find someone else who wants something that I want. Like it, it's not functional. So we we found these objects that could base, that we could effectively agree would store the value or the input or the work we, we put into our, you know, communities, whether local and, you know, broader than that. Now, the reason we chose shells, you know, in sort of the inland regions was you couldn't just go and create a shell. So, so the only way to acquire a shell was to actually do some work. So, so work yeah. mapped to money. Now, the problem, what ended up happening was some bum from the beach um, who may have done nothing, added no value to society, could have collected a bunch of shells, walked inland and was all of a sudden wealthier than everyone else. Not because he added value or did any work, but because he collected some shells. Or alternatively, you could have worked all your life and then gone down to the beach and all of a sudden been a pauper because shells weren't worth anything, right? So over time, we converged onto this object or this unit, which was, you know, gold. It was, you know, had interesting physical properties. It was inert. It didn't react with anything. It was scarce. It was impossible to forge. You know, that was the alchemist's dream. Let's just create, you know, unlimited gold. Um, it was the same whether you were in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in America, in Australia. It didn't matter. So um, it became... And, and I guess we all agreed to use that as the standard. Correct, because it had objective attributes that were superior. So here we are today, um, you know, cre- basically watching the emergence of the most powerful form of money that we've ever had because it is fixed supply. It is unconfiscatable. You cannot inflate it. There is no power in the world or you know by and large in the universe like bitcoin literally converts energy but bitcoin cracked the code of taking something that is unforgeable in the real world which is energy and converting it into a digital unit that is immutable and scarce we have never ever ever been able to do that before um and we can now use this digital unit with absolute certainty that no one can duplicate it, no one can forge it, no one can print more of it, no one can inflate but, it, no one can but confiscate Bitcoin, it. with Bitcoin, we can split the coin as well. Oh, that doesn't matter. So I can yeah. I can do a forgery of the Mona Lisa. It doesn't mean it's the Mona Lisa, right? No, no. I guess what I'm saying is there's only a certain amount of – like how many coins oh, do you mean, were created? Do you mean divisibility? Yes. Yes, yes. correct. Yes, 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 yes. So, yes, the, what makes Bitcoin so profound is that – You've got this maximum supply issuance, you know, that'll sort of finish up in 2140. That's going to be 21 million coins. But the beauty of it is you can divide Bitcoin infinitely. You can continue to split. You can continue um, that division down to as much as you want. Whereas dollars, you can basically go two decimal points and that's it, right? You can go from a dollar down to a cent. Um, whereas Bitcoin, I mean... It's, it's inherently divisible to eight decimal points, so that's a Satoshi. But you can continue. Yes. You can go to milli-Satoshis, micro-Satoshis, nano-Satoshis, pico-Satoshis. You can go as far as you so want. The, yeah, so the problem I have, and you're probably able to debunk this problem yeah, for sure. me, to me, Bitcoin, it's basically the quote-unquote intrinsic value of it is back to the US dollar. Uh, not at all. No, 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 no. So, uh, okay, let's... I, I guess the only reason I say that is because... 
every time, like, because I use, uh, what have I got here, um, Coinbase mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And most of it, this, the coins on there, like Bitcoin, you've got to buy it with, like, it's always compared against the US dollar. Okay, so That's what I'm let's, saying. Let's, always compared. Yeah, let's separate value from price, okay? So what, let, let, let's, let's play a little thought experiment. Um, do you value breathing? Yes. Okay. Um, do you have any children? No. Okay. Um, let, let's, let's take a thought experiment. Let's say there's a mother who values breathing because I'm sure everybody values breathing, everyone who's listening and all that sort of stuff. But let, and this, this is a bit of a brutal example, but it sort of just um, shows the point of something that can be so valuable that you might find something else you value more, right? And it, this, yes. will, this will show why there's no such thing as intrinsic value. Value is just subjective. Is Mother values breathing. Um, her and a child, they're driving, and somehow they crash off a bridge and land in a lake. Now, only one of them can survive. A good parent or a good mother who values her child more than breathing will potentially, you know, save her child um, and choose that over. So, value is not um, a fixed thing. It's not objective. It's a, it's a subjective concept. So, what um, Bitcoin represents is this, you know, it, it's this unit, this digital unit with these, um, you know, attributes and principles around it that we as a society at this point in time all value differently because different people understand uh, Bitcoin in a different way. So all we're seeing by its price in the market, and this is where price differentiates from value, or or price is just a representation of somebody's interpretation of the value at a point in time, is markets just show, you know, this swathe of people, millions of people around the world, some who get Bitcoin, some who don't, who are pricing it differently at a particular point in time and they could be pricing it in US dollar terms. They could be pricing it in euro terms, in AUD terms. They can price it in whatever the hell they want. They can price it in Ethereum, in other shit coins. They can price it in toilet paper. You can price Bitcoin in whatever you want because what's happening now is Bitcoin is emerging. And we as a society, as a collective, are figuring out what the hell is a digital unit that is verifiably scarce. What the hell is it worth? Absolutely nobody knows. The, the market is figuring this out. And Another mental model that I'll use that will really help sort of drive this home is when gold first was discovered, you know, thousands of years ago before it was being used as money, what do you think, who do you think first priced gold? Probably the pharaohs. (laughs) Nobody. I don't know. Seriously, think about it. So the first person who found gold, they would have barely been able to swap an entire rock of gold for a bloody shell, you know, that you wouldn't have even been able to do that because people would have looked at you and been like, what the hell am I going to do with that shiny rock? I can't wear it. I can't eat it. I can't do anything with it. Keep your yellow shiny rock. But over time, you went from being able to barely buy a single shell or maybe like a blade of grass or a piece of salt with that yellow rock until over time, more and more people understood these objective attributes that gold has. And now with a, with a rock of gold that might be a couple kilos, you can buy a house. So it's yeah. so, so price is different to value. Value is this subjective thing, and then we, over time, as a collective inside a marketplace, start to interpret um, how much we value X through the price we attribute to it. So it, Bitcoin's intrinsic value has nothing to do with um, the US dollar. It's just the, one of the mechanisms through which we price Bitcoin um, at this point in time. Now, as more and more people realize what this thing is, more and more people are going to price it more and more accordingly. And that is where the investment opportunity lies with Bitcoin. Right. So I guess if I could just go one step further. Sure. So, so my thing is like 
it is so new. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get society talking about this digital currency, mm-hmm. um, if we want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one, to get the world to change from, I guess, a paper currency or a USD or euro or whatever, mm-hmm. we as a world have to agree to it. True, but we don't have to do first. it. In, yeah. I'll yep. let you finish first, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and secondly, it's kind of until you can, like just my basic kind of thought, until you can settle a government debt with it, I mean, is it any, I guess, the buck's got to stop somewhere for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, I can trade in it and buy stuff with it and swap it to, you know, to buy goods and services with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. but at some point, I've got to cash that out uh, to pay a tax. Yeah, sure. Okay, so um, first up, um, we don't have to. And I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty agnostic to Bitcoin at the moment. Mm-hmm. I want it to. I want there to be some type of digital thing. I want, um, I want the world to, I guess, be kind of set on the same page. Uh, but yeah, it's getting governments on board to recognise it as a real thing yeah well governments won't jump on board until um bitcoin's worth at least until the bitcoin network is stable enough and is worth at least a couple trillion dollars at that point in time you know government risk departments might start um thinking about uh holding some bitcoin um in treasury the same way as they're holding gold uh, the, the same way as they hold gold so i'll give you an example you can't go and settle your taxes with a bar of gold right um no. you know but do governments hold gold in reserve? Well, they tell us they do. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they, they, they fundamentally do. A lot of the governments aren't stupid. Um, now, some of yeah. them hold less. Like, you know, the Australian government was dumb enough to give away its, all its gold to Russia <laughs> um, and China. But, you know, that's um, that's us. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, 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 the more intelligent ones out there, they're, um, they're holding reserves of gold. Um, but they're also holding reserves of other, of other currencies. Like, you can't go and settle your... Um, your tax debt here in Australia with the US dollar, but Australia holds a very, you know, significant um, proportion of its, um, you know, assets and treasuries uh, in US dollar denominated um, currency, right? So, yeah. so, so that's sort of not the game yet. So, what what Bitcoin represents now is Bitcoin just has to continue doing what it's doing, which is to prove that it's a place you can store wealth where it cannot be confiscated, where it cannot be inflated. Um, and where it cannot be compromised. And then over time, what you get is more and more people want to store some wealth and capital there. Now, you have this finite supply network, which continues to accumulate capital. And as it accumulates capital, it actually becomes more secure and it becomes stronger. And it, you know, it, you've got this, what's called this recursive um, or reflexive effect where um, you know, the, the, the system propagates and it gets stronger as it, um, you know, as it gets capital and hash rate in. Um, so all that it has to do is just keep on chugging along and doing that because over time, Jesus, there's that freaking motorbike again. Um, as, as time passes, um, you're, you're simply going to have, you know, the, the difference between if you hold your money today in Australian dollars or us dollars or whatever, every seven to 10 years, you basically lose half your wealth for inflation. Yes. Like it, yes. it's literally madness. Um, whereas if you store it in Bitcoin, like you, you, you physically, you, you cannot create more Bitcoin. There's, there's nobody who can. 
Um, okay, so qu- question. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that investing in cash mm-hmm. is a terrible investment. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Just, but are you saying when if why we go back to when I don't know the Australian dollar was floated or the US dollar was started? Mm-hmm investing in the US dollar then before it took off would have been a smart thing? Not not so much. You, no, not so much because this is a different thing. I, I guess, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm just trying to, to get people to understand that. See, I, I think at the moment if I was going into Bitcoin now, it would literally be an investment. Yes. Um, and a buy Bitcoin, put it away, forget about it, get it on with my life. 100%. But at some point, so I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think until everybody is using Bitcoin, it's not a currency that we can use. Correct. It's a currency. But at the moment, it's just a – we're just waiting. Correct. So so let, let, I'll, let's use the gold mental model again. So, um, so, so currency has multiple meanings. Currency is somewhere where you store wealth or it can be a medium of exchange or you can use it as a unit of account through which you price other goods against, right? So t- today's fiat currencies are not a place you want to store wealth. They are a useful means of exchange and they are a useful unit of account, but they've forgotten the fundamental element of what a money or a currency represents, which is a store of wealth. And store of wealth is defined as knowing your portion in with respect to the whole. Okay, so if you've got a pizza with um, eight slices you can grow the size of that pizza, but as long as long as you have one slice, you know that you're not your wealth is not being um, inflated away. Like you know, if if you go and continue to cut up slices, you're going to end up with less and less of the total pie. So, what um, the narrative that matters for Bitcoin today, because it's forming as a money, and this is going to take decades, is that right now you want to collect Bitcoin. Think of it purely as like collecting yellow rocks thousands of years ago before the rest of the world realized it was available. Everybody else is still on shells and they're laughing at you for collecting these yellow rocks because they think, huh, look at this idiot. He's going around collecting yellow shiny rocks and we're all here using our shells because everybody else uses shells and we're the smart ones. Whereas that genius who was collecting yellow shiny rocks, when everybody else starts to realize that the yellow shiny rocks are superior to their shitty shells, then that person will have collected them when the yellow shiny rocks were mispriced. At the moment, Bitcoin is the most underestimated, mispriced, um, underappreciated money, but at the same time, it's the most powerful form of money we've ever had in history. Um, yeah. And you're able to collect it for freaking 15,000 a coin. Jesus. Yeah. Now, question. Um so at the moment, like you remember when like probably four or five years ago, people were like, oh, I want to use Bitcoin to, uh, you know, to go down and buy a burger yep. in this place over yep. here. I was telling people that's really dumb because of, because the currency is so volatile at the yes, moment, yes. that $5 burger one day could cost you $8 or it could cost you $3. Yeah, so yeah. for me, that's a rubbish way to use it. Absolutely. And secondly, the cost to entry to buy it with brokerage probably is not worth it to use as a day-to-day currency. Correct, 100%. So right now, the narrative that matters is to collect freaking Bitcoin. Like if you were stupid enough to go and collect gold thousands of years ago and then spend it on a chicken, you'd feel really stupid when everybody else was scrambling to get gold. So where are you – how do I buy – well, full disclosure, I do own Bitcoin. Um, But how – 
how do you tell people to buy it at the moment or where to buy it? Look, it's become much easier than back in the day. Back in the day, it was really difficult to buy Bitcoin. You know, like m- most of the, you know, Bitcoin you'd bought in the early days was a brown paper bag, meet someone at a cafe, you know, from local Bitcoins and, um, and do an exchange wallet to wallet and give them some money. These days you've got exchanges. Now, exchanges, you know, are harder for most people because you need to understand, you know, like markets and order books and all this sort of what's a limit order, what's a buy order, what's a market order, what's all this shit. So what we've done, and this is sort of why I want to make Bitcoin more accessible to people, is I think it's the most asymmetric investment opportunity of our lifetime, bar none, that there's nothing that comes close. So I built a product called Amber, which allows you to just download an app, um, set up your BSB and account for a little direct debit. You set a amount and a frequency. So say you want to buy 50 bucks a week, um, you know, or, you know, hundred bucks a month or $5 a day, whatever the hell you want to do, you can select any frequency in any amount. Um, and then it just buys Bitcoin for you and accumulates it and chucks it in cold storage for you. You can withdraw the Bitcoin anytime. You can sell it down back to Australian dollars. You can withdraw it. You can do whatever you want. But it's the easiest, fastest way in Australia at the moment to buy Bitcoin, hopefully in the UK by the end of this year. But um, th- that's how people can get exposure to this. And like I, I, I run around everywhere and I tell people, I say, look, Bitcoin, yes, it is volatile. Yes, it is inherently something that moves a lot, you know, that, that has these gut-wrenching moves. So what you want to do is you just want to dollar cost average your way in so that you can smooth out that volatility um, so that you're not worried about that. Because, I mean, like fundamentally, like if Bitcoin is going to represent one of the most asymmetric opportunities of today, and what I mean by asymmetry is if you put $1,000 into Bitcoin today in 10 years time, it's either the experiment blew up and it's worth zero, or if Bitcoin does succeed in 10 years time, that thousand bucks will be worth 100, 200, 300K. You cannot get that in any other um, investment or asset class on the planet. It doesn't exist. So mm. you find asymmetry first. Step two is you um, you dollar cost average. So that way you've got consistency. And then you have sprinkle a little bit of patience on top. So time in the market instead of trying to time the market. This is the hardest market in the world to time because it's growing so rapidly and it's growing in waves. Whenever something moves so quickly and for the first time, like we've actually got a an object with an inelastic supply, like that's never happened before. So when yes. capital starts to flow on, the moves are freaking violent, man. Bitcoin can move 10, 20, 30% in a day and people like, people can't hack that. So the way you mitigate and remove the emotion from that experience is by dollar cost averaging and just being consistent and having time in the market. And what you're doing is you're literally front running the rest of the world because by the time everyone else realizes that this is a place that is, they can store their wealth safely, securely, and not have to worry that it's being, that more money is being printed or that, you know, that their value is being bloody debased. Um, yes, you, you'll have collected a shitload. It's it's another really good example I give to someone is m- many people don't know Times Square was bought in I think it was 1786 or something like that for a dollar sixty. Dollar sixty, okay. You and buying Bitcoin now is like literally um, buying land hundreds of years ago. It's like you, you're claiming territory. Yes, um, yes, and that is the investment opportunity. It's not a stock. It's not a bond. It's not a share. It's not real estate. Well, it's, it's closer probably to real estate than it is to anything else because you're sort of buying finite limited property on a digital network instead of a physical um, in the physical world. And man, it, it's it's something that anybody can get access to. You can't buy real estate for 50 bucks a day, you know, or 50 so, bucks a week. 
So with um, Amber that you've created yep. and people it might round up into a Bitcoin investment, mm-hmm. like in the background, like are you just doing bulk transactions? Yeah, that's like, it. Yeah, we aggregate everyone's orders on a daily basis and then once a day yeah. we just execute a purchase and we buy a bunch and then we attribute it to everyone's account. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Mm. Um, well, is there anything else? Like it, it is an express episode but it's been a bit of a bonus one because I just wanted to start to – I guess, mess with people's mind and yeah. <laughs> start to just start to educate on what the future might look like. Yeah. I just want to get your comments um, and I'm, I might be a little bit, um, I guess, bullish in terms of um, the Libra with the Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sounded like I was freaking a million years old, the Libra with the Facebook. <laughs> um, Facebook's currency. Yep. Um, I guess the only reason I'm bullish on that is because they've got distribution and everyone's got, uh, an account in their pocket ready to go. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, look, look, so what Libra is solving is, remember we talked about the three principles of money, store of value, medium exchange, and unit of account. So Libra is going for those um, medium exchange first, and then um, you know one day hoping to become a unit of account. So you price things in you know Libra, um, yes. and that's fine, but it doesn't represent the formation of a new form of money. So it's not an investment um, per se, it's just, I mean, you know, you can hold Australian dollars, you can hold Libra. And I mean, me personally, I would probably prefer to hold Libra than shitty Australian dollars because this Australian dollar just keeps falling. Yes. Um, so, so in that sense, that's fine. But, but I'm not, I'm holding it for a very different, like I would hold Libra for a very different reason than Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is becoming a, a, a global monetary system and monetary unit that is, that is verifiably fixed in supply, that is unconfiscatable, and that is fundamentally owned by the people, whereas Libra represents this stark contrast that's owned by Zuckerberg and his mates. Um, and I mean, whether they go down this like weird path, like kind of what's happening in, you know, in China with the social credit system, where, you know, if they don't like something that you said, they just turn off your ability to buy food or, you know, turn off your ability to jump on a train. Like, you know, something like Libra, uh, you know, lends itself to potentially becoming like that, you know, so, so there's yes. the ability to censor. So, you know, whereas Bitcoin is fundamentally owned by the participants, so you, you can't censor it, you can't turn it off, you can't stop it. Um, and from an investment standpoint, it's just a far better thing to hold because, you know, it, it is emerging as money. So as a result, you can collect some today and tomorrow it'll be worth 5, 10, 15, 100 times as much as it is worth now. So, so they, they represent two very different things. And Lastly, what I'll say about Libra is I was so happy when you know Libra came out because it, it inherently validated Bitcoin. It showed the world that the concept of a non-sovereign currency was possible, you know, i.e. something that's not issued by the state. Yes. Um, so, so that's profound. And then all of a sudden people could understand Bitcoin. They're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Because people couldn't get their heads around like how can you, someone who's not a government issue money? Well, now all of a sudden – you know, Zuckerberg did it. So now Bitcoin makes a little bit more sense, number one. Number two, it just validated Bitcoin's choice to optimize for security, stability, censorship-resistant decentralization, unlike all of the shit coins and altcoins and crap coins and blockchains and ICOs who all tried to optimize for speed or for smart contract or for whatever stupidity they were talking about. Libra just made them all obsolete in one shot. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. why the hell would you use you know, a shit coin called Ethereum, which, you know, you know, they cha- you know, Vitalik changes his mind every 30 minutes about what it stands for when you could get distribution for smart contracts on Libra, right? So like everything else becomes obsolete. And then thirdly, 
it validated Bitcoin because it stands in stark contrast to what Bitcoin represents, which is, as I said, a money for the people that is emergent, that is being priced by the market versus a medium of exchange that runs on a network that already has distribution that you don't hold for the purpose of, you know, storing wealth, but you use to transact. Um, and Yeah, okay. Just, and finally, um, and we... We might get you back on to talk more detail about what you're working on with Amber. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bitcoin Cash? It's just another bloody altcoin. So it's run by right. some moron called Roger. So the guy forked it because he was, you know, didn't like the way Bitcoin was going. So what he wanted to do basically was, so, so without getting too technical, he wanted to increase the block size so you could increase the throughput on Bitcoin and make the transaction fees cheaper. Now, yes. By continually doing that as a method of scaling, what you end up doing is you create larger and larger and larger block sizes, which make the um, ability for you to run a node and validate all the transactions much, much harder. So as a result, over time, you trend towards only a few people being able to validate the entire blockchain. So you end up basically creating a PayPal, <laughs> which is yeah. a centralized thing. So, so basically, he was willing to, for the sake of cheap transactions, he was willing to give away Bitcoin's most important attributes, which are censorship resistant, unconfiscatability, uninflatability, and the fact that nobody owns it, like that it's owned by everybody. So yes. all of a sudden you see Bitcoin Cash is now like worth, you know, at one point in time, you know, I think it got up to worth half a Bitcoin. Now it's worth 0.003 of Bitcoin, like it's a disaster. So yeah, wow. whereas Bitcoin optimized for what matters and guess where all the capital in the world's going? It's all going on Bitcoin. Nobody wants to have anything to do with Bitcoin Cash. That's like we, we call it in the in the industry we call it B trash, um, yes. you know, because it's it's just a piece of junk that just further reinforced. Like anybody can go and fork Bitcoin. Like you and I can go and create Bitcoin, you know, AGV, which is Alex and Glenn's version. <laughs> yes. You know, is anyone going to follow us? No, no one gives a shit because you know we by owning that could you know change the rules at any point in time. Whereas to try and change the rules with Bitcoin, you need to get 20 million people around the world who are validators, miners, node operators, users, all of this shit to agree to that. Good luck. You know, Bitcoin's, Bitcoin has ossified and that is where its value lies is in this uncompromisable digital network that guarantees you scarcity, stability, and immutability. Like that was a one-time event. We can't replicate it with any other shitcoin. We can't replicate it with any other altcoin. And we can't replicate it by forking off our own deranged version of Bitcoin and um, and thinking that, you know, like Roger does, he thinks is the Messiah, um, running around mm. pretending like Bitcoin Cash is something. So it's, um yeah. And I mean, all of that just makes Bitcoin stronger. <laughs> it yeah, just continually yeah, wow. strengthens it. Right. Well, I hope that's been, like if it's your first, I guess, real deep dive into Bitcoin, um, you might need a drink or a shower. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I will say like if I was wearing my financial planner's hat, any type of um, – oh, would you call a Bitcoin an alternative investment at yeah. this point? I mean, yeah. absolutely. That's what it is. Uh, you know, you take 1% of your portfolio or, you know, whatever you're comfortable with and you put yeah. it in there. That's it. Yeah. So, I tell people like if you want to dick around with alternative investments um, – I would not be allocating more than 10% of your net worth mm -hmm. outside of your home. Yeah. Okay. So, because it's just a risk management thing. That's it. So, I mean, you do you out there, but 
I personally am not doing more than 10% of my net worth. And I've talked about on My Millennial Money before, like clients that have um, purchased rare pink diamonds Mm -hmm. and they bought 60 grand worth because they wanted to, Mm -hmm. um, which I think was just one little diamond. Um, But it didn't move the needle in their world because it was under 10% of their net worth. Absolutely. Okay. So, so, this so, is all speculative. This is not financial advice. Actually, to get financial advice, you need to receive a statement of advice yeah, from a financial advisor. Yeah. You need a PDS. This is not financial advice. It's a discussion. Um, but if you do want to check out um, Amber, I might put a link um, in the show notes. Yeah, we'll check on my Twitter and a link to Amber. I'm, I might, if, if I've got two seconds um, yeah. off you, Glenn, I'll just add something to that um, you know, asset allocation um, sure. concept is, and I think that's really important. A lot of people go wrong there is they, um, and then they end up doing stupid things like mortgaging their house and buying Bitcoin, you know, at the peak, right. Is, yeah. um, the, the smartest thing to do in life is, um, is again, this comes back to what I was mentioning earlier about finding asymmetry. Nassim Taleb talks about this a lot. The guy who wrote black swan, anti-fragile and skin in the game, sure. um, is you, you find, so, so you, you, Set up your portfolio in a way that you know the large proportion is um, is safe, stable, you know minimal returns and all of that, and you find stuff that provides asymmetry, um, you know, or what, what's called fat tails. So you find something that provides asymmetry um, that represents a small proportion because, like, let's say for example, you put five percent of your net worth into Bitcoin, right? Um, and you've got let's say your net worth is a hundred grand, so you put five grand into Bitcoin, and you got ninety five in just you know, something that, you know, grows like grass, okay? So it doesn't move, you know, it's boring and it returns you 1% per year, right? So your 95 grand makes you $950 a year. But let's say Bitcoin succeeds and that five grand goes 100x. All of a sudden, you know, your five grand element is worth 500,000 um, and you've, you know, turn, you, your, your total return across the entire portfolio is now, um, you know, 500 plus, you know, 100, you've got um, a six hundred percent return or whatever it is. Um, yes. whereas, um, if it goes to zero, well, shit, you've lost 5%. That kind of asymmetry is what you need to look for. And that's exactly why we built Amber again, is that you can for 50 bucks a week or hundred bucks a week or whatever the hell you're comfortable with, get that asymmetry without having to think about it, without having to sweat, without having to sit there like a moron trying to time the market and like listen to all these people reading tea leaves and trying to tell you how to trade and all that garbage. It's just set an amount, forget it and just leave it, let it accumulate. Um, it, it's the smartest thing you can do. Like if you did that for a year on Bitcoin, like 25 bucks a week over the last year, you would have returned something like 60% um, over the last year. Over the last three years, you would have returned 250%. Over the last five years, you would have turn, uh, returned 2,500%. Over the last seven years, you would have turn, returned 400,000%. Over the last mm. nine years, you would have uh, returned, I think it's something like uh, 4 million percent. It's ridiculous. Yeah, wow. And, that, wow. and that's what you get with an emergent asset. And you can't... Like you and I and, you know, the everyday people that are listening to this, we can't get access to, you know, Uber, uh, you know, as a VC or an angel, right? We're not Andreessen Horowitz. We're not Chris Sacker. Um, We can't get that kind of asymmetry. But with Bitcoin, for the first time in history, you can. Um, And that's why I'm so adamant that everybody, like it's it's more of a risk today to not hold Bitcoin than it is Mm. to have some exposure. Again, not financial advice, but... You know, I, I'm I'm adamant on that, and that's why I built this product. Yeah, right. Sweet. All right, mate. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll put some details in the show notes. 
and uh, yeah, we'll get you on again soon. Much appreciated. Thanks, Glenn, bro. Thank you. If you are after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. In fact, it's a general advice podcast. But if you do want somebody to talk to, jump onto sortyourmoneyout.com and click on Get Help, and I'll be able to put you in touch with an advisor or a mortgage broker who can actually sit down with you or have a Skype or a Zoom meeting and really work out what you need based on your own personal circumstances. Any advice in this podcast is of a general nature only and has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. Please seek personal advice prior to acting on this information. Before making a decision to acquire a financial product, you should obtain and read the product disclosure statement relating to that product. Opinions constitute our judgment at the time of issue and are subject to change. Neither the licensee, any of the National Australia Group of Companies, nor their employees or directors give any warranty of accuracy nor accept any responsibility for errors or omissions in this podcast. Glenn James, Urban Getter, Proprietary Limited, trading to sort your money out, are authorised representatives of Apogee Financial Planning Limited, AFSL 230689.